2: College nerds, we're here talking Alabama and Arkansas. Josh is getting nerdy with me too, and I want to give you some homework and some reminders, and we're going to just jump right into it. First, homework in the comments, as usual. We've been doing this for years. Give us your score prediction. We're happy for you to tell us how crazy we were. Arkansas fans got at Josh last week to tell him how crazy he was, and he was kind of right. Um, and also, we're just going to plug the live show. We do a live show every Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central. Um, it's it's actually a lot of fun. It's one of the things that we love doing the most on this show. We do a live Top 10. Um, we talk about the games that are going on right then. And uh, you can check out the, the, you know, obviously the replay of that on our YouTube channel or in podcast form. Um, all right, Josh, let's get going on this one. Uh, the last time we talked was really about Alabama it was, you know, on the live show this weekend, but the week before, two weeks before after the Texas game, um, I kind of had some comments about Bill O'Brien's offense um, against Vanderbilt and Arkansas fans, before you roll your eyes against Vanderbilt, I was pretty impressed by what I saw. went back and reviewed that game today. Um, Josh, just get into it a little bit for maybe people who don't know. The things that were plaguing Alabama, maybe against Texas or some parts last year that we saw in the game Saturday against Vanderbilt that should show signs of encouragement if you're an Alabama fan.
1: I think the biggest thing that, should be a sign of encouragement is that the offense was actually operating on rhythm. Uh, Even in the early games like Louisiana Monroe or Utah state, I felt like Alabama's offensive production came a little bit out of rhythm, meaning Bryce young was kind of creating more than he should. They had pressures even in their opener, certainly had a lot of pressures against Texas. And a lot of it was due to confusion. It was due to timing issues with receivers due to receivers, not breaking off routes properly or making correct check so if a guy's coming in a corner blitz a lot of times the receiver is supposed to adjust his route and he wouldn't do that so that means bryce young gets the pressure without the release valve stuff like that uh but the biggest thing that really struck me in that vanderbilt game is that the ball came out on time with authority to his receivers and i really hadn't seen that from bryce young I, and there were a lot of stats that got thrown up um and i think it was I think Price Young had been one of eight on passes over 15 yards in the air going into the Vanderbilt game. And he started it was like four or four or five of five or something like that in that game. And look, Vanderbilt is not a good team. They're a bad defensive team, but they're still a couple notches better than Louisiana Monroe or Utah State, more than likely. And so it says something that they played a lot better against Vanderbilt than they did those teams. So the biggest thing to me was just rhythm and consistency. And we talk a lot about how even when you have talent disparities, if you're not cohesive as an offense or a defense, you tend to play poorly. It's kind of the nature of football, sort of a weird aspect of it. And Alabama had not been there. Um, so that kind of, in my view, turned the page a little bit. And I'll, I'll throw out one of the statistics that I had, uh, that I mentioned in our live show. Alabama already had some things going for them. I mean, in terms of running the ball – Just off the bat, they were first in the country at about 7.5 yards per carry going into last week. So some things were operating. But the passing game, however you want to look at it statistically, they had a couple 6.5 yard per attempt games, a couple of them, and they just really, really took another step forward. So that's, that's the biggest thing. Even against air, they weren't looking great, if you want to think of it that way. And they looked like they were operating correctly. And if they can operate correctly and take advantage of opportunities given to them through the air suddenly that offense gets tremendously more dangerous.
2: Yeah. And, and look, Arkansas, if they wanted to score forty five points or fifty-five points, whatever the final score was, against Vanderbilt, they they could. Like that I'm not saying that 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 point total is some special thing. Vanderbilt's got a pretty good offense, I think, especially a wide receiver. I don't think they have a good defense. Is is bad. Um the thing to me that I noticed that I mentioned in the live show is they were doing a lot of stuff that was non-standard for Alabama. Like they didn't score those points running their normal offense. They scored their points running the offense or, or calling plays that they were really working on. Um, a lot of empty sets, a lot of a lot of RPO RPO calls in the past. Nick Saban said. So from that standpoint, I think there's a lot of encouraging things because if they're working on the things they're bad at, I think we're going to see more of a more comfortable and normally called offense against Arkansas, which I think is going to lead to a good amount of points. Now, on the flip side, um, Arkansas's offense is what I was hoping was going to carry them this year, because you and I both have sort of had concerns for a couple years now on that defense. I think they've got some good players. they got some good pieces, especially Drew Sanders is showing out this year. They, they can be disruptive, but they can also give up some points and yards, and I don't know that the Arkansas AM and m game was a huge indictment on that defense, but I do think that we're in some territory where Josh for Arkansas to be that top 10 team this year, didn't they need to kind of be like an old miss of prior years where they might win a game 55 45. And does that give you a little concern about who they might be this year? If they're not the team that can put the points on the board, but might be the team that will give up the points on the board. Yeah, I think that's sort of the short version of it. Um, Arkansas
1: defensively plays physical football, but we talked about this a lot regarding uh, regard to last season, that they are they are not a great defense. And the pass defense in particular is not very good. What I see a lot from them is when they're playing downhill, they're pretty solid. They've got guys that can strike, particularly a linebacker with Sanders and Poole. I mean, they can hit and they can thump. And if they're filling lanes, they're good, and they can find the lanes and hit them. But the more that they start to have to redirect laterally, especially with the injury of Catalan, which I think really creates problems for them in trying to fill alleys, it just gets progressively worse and worse. And if teams could get the ball over to the second level where people are having to run them down, it, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Tackling is not great. Uh, angles are not great. And so you do have to score a lot of points. But you know, to your point there, like that South Carolina game, which was 44-30, and Arkansas kind of came on really late in the game and blew it open, that was a 5.3-yard-per-play game. I mean, Texas a m was 5.7, and I know they're a good defense. Cincinnati was 6.3. They have not been really blowing the doors off people offensively, and I think, I think really the most consistently explosive weapon that I've seen from them has been Rocket Sanders, and I think in the passing game, like Hazelwood's shown up a little bit. They've got some weapons, but I, I think they're clearly missing – what Traylon Burks brought to that offense. And they are relying a lot more on KJ Jefferson's ability to create than they'd probably like. And when you can contain that run game or especially the sort of the zone read run game with Jefferson and Sanders, they don't have a lot of second options unless you're overly strained to deal with that. Um, And so, yeah, I I am a little concerned because I don't think the defense is fantastic. It's, it's fine. But I don't think it's fantastic. And, yes, I know they just shut down Texas A&M, but Texas A&M's offense is a whole other level of awful. Uh, So, you know, you don't want to be in that position where your defense isn't great and you're maybe not that well-equipped to win a shootout. And then you are in that position when you face Alabama, and it's a whole other different story, right?
2: Yeah, and I want to not-so-fast my own point, too, because um, if you really look at that A&M game, um, what's kind of impressive From a yards per play standpoint or f- First of all, we love a ms defense We think it's very good So scoring in the 20s against AM's defense Is not an indictment on your offense um, I don't think that I don't think that Arkansas's offense is elite Like maybe some people thought They could put up a ton of points this year But I do think that A&M game Wasn't an indictment Because if you think about it They were one yard short of putting a touchdown on the board In that crazy play And then they doinked Uh, a field goal at the end like we're getting into like that's 31 points that's really respectable in my opinion so I think from from if I'm giving Arkansas a little bit of credit here and the other thing that I'm going to segue to is you know they I think they scored 35 on Alabama last year they've got the offense that when it gets going it can get going so I'm not super like down on arkansas maybe for alabama a little bit but on the flip side we've seen alabama struggle in crazy loud road environments and specifically struggle offensively so for all the goodwill that we're given this alabama offense we have lately isn't it a situation where like okay maybe at home if they're playing arkansas at home they can put up 50 points but maybe on the road it drops way down if we're using recent history, recent past, even going back to last year a little bit as a guide. Is this a situation where like, we don't want to credit Alabama with a lot of points until they actually show us they can do it? It's an interesting question because Alabama has been
1: decidedly less effective on the road. And there are a lot of theories as to that. Our theory, I think, for both of us is they have issues in signaling the plays in a little late. And when they have a lot of noise, because they have so many checks offensively, given the time it takes for them to get the play in and given the amount of time it takes for them to get to the offensive line, they're constantly snapping with six seconds or less on the clock and their offensive line just isn't great. So when that happens, they kind of constantly are snapping the ball when the defense knows it's coming. And when that when you lose that advantage in the offensive line to get the jump on the defensive line, it's extremely hard to pass block. So. I do agree with you. It's hard to just take for granted that Alabama is going to be offensively the same court of juggernaut that you think they might be. But, you know, again, I mean, Arkansas, South Carolina to me is a pretty good benchmark, right? South Carolina had 4.4 yards per play against Georgia State. They had technically 4.8 against Georgia, though most of it was in absolute garbage time. And they struggled for quite a bit against Charlotte. And they had over six yards per play on arkansas so i i think this the tale of two sides here is i think offensively arkansas did quite well i mean they were nine yards per attempt against a&m they didn't throw very much at all they mainly ran the ball but 54 carries for 244 yards four and a half yards per carries nothing to sneeze at that was a good texas a&m defense one that's been run on successfully some um and they they had a lot of success on the ground um the problem to me with this entire discussion is we can talk about Alabama's offense and whether they take a step back, but I, I don't think Arkansas' defense is at the level of the ones that have given them fits. I, I don't think they're at the level of Auburn. I don't, frankly, I don't know that they're at the level of Texas. Now we could have a whole other debate about that. Um, but Texas, when they play up to their talent level, can be very good. Um, the problem with them is they, they just don't show up sometimes. Um, the problem for Arkansas to me in this game is is i think the alabama defense does not get enough credit for just how good they actually are this year and because of that the bar that you have to hit defensively what you have to hold alabama's offense to is extremely difficult to hit uh and so you've kind of got two competing things right can you hold alabama to enough points uh to be able to win and on the other side can you actually score and doing those two things at the same time is i think kind of nigh on impossible
2: yeah, I do think that, you know, we say this, but I was really impressed with Alabama's, you know, their defense last year and Arkansas still found a way to put some points on. Um, so I do think there's there's some combination of, you know, the the powerful running quarterback with a strong arm and and, and really maybe not caring if you lose and kind of throwing it all out there that, that puts Bama in a bit of a bind. Um, one point about the Alabama defense that I think is really important. And I've noticed this for a couple of years now. Right now, Alabama is fifth in the nation in touchdown percentage, uh, opponent touchdown percentage in the red zone. And that's huge to me because if you have an offense that can score a lot of points, um, then a defense that's holding other teams to field goals, it doesn't matter what yardage they get. If they're holding the field goals, that's huge. But if you have an offense that sputters a little bit on the road, What did we see against Texas field goal attempt after field goal attempt? That's what was the difference in the game. So let's get into the model a little bit. Um, I know it's a little wacky, just like the Arkansas one last week, Um, but let's do a quick one on the model and let's get into some scores.
1: Yeah. So the model this week, uh, for those that don't know, our model is a per play model basically creates a sort of a description of your team a description of the other team. Makes them face off in a matchup-centric way. So team A may beat team B, team B may beat C, C may beat A. The way our model works, it's not just a straight power rating or something like that. That's why we don't do a team ranking one through one thirty. And then based off how the the game is expected to go, our model basically looks at your past history as a football team and creates a scoring model through sort of a basically a machine learning concept and. F- kind of plugs in the data for both teams and spits out a score. This was a wonky game to run into the model because Arkansas actually has an inverted curve. And what I mean by that is that Arkansas has scored more points when they had fewer yardage. Uh, If you look through their, their history, their highest uh, yard per play in FBS competition, we we don't consider FCS games because that data doesn't really work. Um, was Cincinnati, and they had 6.3 yards per play. In South Carolina, Arkansas actually only had 5.3 yards per play in that game. They got all their yard, their points at the end of the game. Until then, they'd actually kind of sputtered off and on. And so because you have the situation where you scored more where there's fewer yardage, our model just takes everything at face value. And so it says, well, I guess they do better when there's fewer yards. There have been a couple instances where we've seen that, and it weirdly actually ended up being accurate. Daniel, I don't know if you remember uh, several years ago, South Carolina, when they had Debo Samuel, had this weird thing where they were scoring more points with low yardage, and there was this strange floor. Um, it happened a couple times, and people laughed about our model, but it actually ended up being true, that they um, their points and their yards really had no correlation. And our model kind of saw through that and realized it had so much to do with special teams and defensive touchdowns and things that it was really, really wacky how the scoring model worked. But what I did in this one is I just sort of tweaked it, and I basically forced Arkansas's curve to go right side up by by putting a data point to say, without affecting any other statistic other than that model and that curve, if Arkansas doesn't score any point, or doesn't gain any yardage, they're not going to score any points. And I basically anchored it low. So with that in mind... um, The yardage prediction, which I did not futz with at all, is about 8 yards per play for Alabama and about 3.5 for Arkansas. And that right there should tell you the whole story. Anytime a team is over 6 yards per play, they're generally doing whatever they want. Again, uh, the higher watermark for Arkansas this year was Cincinnati at 6.3, and Alabama is 1.7 yards per play above that. I mean, 8 yards per play is just crazy. And on the other side of the ball, Arkansas is only expected to get about three and a half yards per play. And the biggest problem is in college football, you can shut down the run. We often see teams that are dominant against the run, and Alabama is at that point. Right now, they are holding teams to 43% of their rushing averages. That is, I am fairly certain, the lowest number our model has ever recorded. We have seen teams in the 50s at the end of the year... Georgia was at that level. Uh, Alabama in 2016 was at that level. I think Clemson in 2018 was around that level in the 50s. I do not believe I've ever seen the number in the low 40s. So this should be the... It We're only a few games into the season, but this is the highest-rated rush defense our model has ever tracked. And then Alabama's pass defense is actually 73% of opponent passing averages. They had a bad quarter against uh, Texas. A lot of that gets attributed to Ewers, which is one one side that's a little screw, uh, screwy too because we don't know how good Texas really would be and Texas probably looks worse than they should compared to the production they got against Alabama because they haven't had the benefit of viewers in some of the later games but outside that really that one quarter which was with a different DBN and they made a substitution they've been extremely good uh 70 anything below 75% is a lead in pass defense it's hard to hold teams to much lower than that Well, at the same time, Arkansas has 94% of opponent rushing averages, 190% of opponent uh, passing averages. Those are bad numbers. Uh, That means basically teams are doing what they normally do. You're not really presenting much resistance. You're just basically a very, very average unit. And again, that's average, bearing in mind that most of your data points are not great, South Carolina and Cincinnati. And Cincinnati's data point is going to be sort of screwy because their averages are all based off G5 play. So... Yeah, that that's really the tale of the story here. And when Arkansas you consider the fact that they're a team that's almost two to one run to pass in terms of meaningful downs, and the fact that you can shut down the run and that Alabama does shut down the run, you get a really lopsided result. Our our model has this fifty one to twelve and it, it's because Alabama is expected to do everything they, they want to do, and it's because Arkansas is predicated on the run. They are not expected to be able to run at all. Um, and, you know, last year's Arkansas game, or Arkansas-Alabama Arkansas game kind of, kind of turned into a shootout, mainly because Arkansas was hitting a lot of deep shots, mostly to Burks. The model doesn't see that this year. And without that, this game can get really, really lopsided really quickly. Um, and it just our model doesn't really see an avenue for Arkansas to be able to win this game, given how much they, to this point had to depend on the run.
2: The flip side to this though, is like, I don't think Alabama's getting eight yards of carry like that for me, or not a carry a play eight yards of play is a ton for a team. That's not even averaging eight yards against really bad teams. So I do get how, you know, Arkansas is allowing maybe more than their opponents average, but I also think some of that is the A&M data that we're introducing here that's split between Haynes King and Max Johnson. And, and the offense has looked better. The Even the running game has looked better uh, with him at the helm. So I think that they're getting dinged a little bit for that in a way that maybe they shouldn't. But again, I don't think the defense is great. But I do think they can play above their heads if they're playing an Alabama team that's coming in and and they treat it like their Super Bowl, kind of like Texas did, and the crowd is lathered up and they're really loud and they can put some pressure on Alabama. The issue for me, though, is I think some of what we've seen with Alabama two years in a row is you catch them early and they're a little disconnected. And we saw that with Florida last year and we saw it with Texas this year. What I'm seeing from Alabama this year, I wouldn't be surprised if they're a little Sputtery uh, on the road at Arkansas, but I think they're going to get theirs um, because the flip side of this, in terms of yards per play information and all that data, is people are going to say, "Well, yeah, Alabama played scrubs because um, ULM is terrible. Vanderbilt's not great, it's at least defensively." Um, so I think that you know Alabama's trying to salt the game away, basically taking a knee starting midway in the third quarter or earlier. So, they actually could have done a lot worse against these teams. And on the flip side, it's very hard to hold bad teams to low averages. If they average five yards a pass, that's already bad. If they average one yard a carry, you know, holding them to less than one yard a carry is impossible. So, um, some of those numbers are skewed a little bit too. I've got Alabama 44, Arkansas 20. I think Arkansas is going to find some more points, but I do think they're going to struggle to actually score touchdowns unless they're doing it uh, with some deep shots. And, look, Arnold's a young corner. He might can be exposed a little bit. Um, but also, you know, I, I just I don't see them having enough juice to beat Alabama. And I think this is the game where Alabama really shows that, like, it's funny to make jokes about Alabama sucking or maybe having all these issues, but at some point they usually flex their muscle, and I think they might do it here.
1: my prediction of the game is pretty similar. So I actually have it 41, 17 Bama. And I mean, if you look at the point spread, it's 15 and a half and it's gone actually up from 14 and more. So Vegas is asking the question, does Alabama win by three scores or two scores? And, and it's not saying that it's necessarily going to be in that specific realm, but if you're betting on this game and Alabama only wins by two touchdowns, they failed to cover that. That says a lot. Um, and and I'm kind of with you. I think Alabama is very quickly rounding in a form. Week one, Georgia was head and shoulders the best team in the country. I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. I think Ohio State and Alabama are already at the point where they're going to give them a serious run for their money if they were to play today. And, you know, Alabama, like their their worst game, that Texas game where their offense was really stagnant, was five point nine yards per per play. And that's a higher number than South Carolina averages on the year. Okay. So like their worst day against a good team is better than anything Arkansas has faced. And Alabama is averaging about 7.7 yards per play on the year, even including the Texas game. That number is fourth in the country. Um, so I, I think Alabama and Ohio state are going to end up number one and number two in offense. It seems like they're going to be that number by a significant margin. I'm not sure if the crowd noise is going to be a factor, like you said, it it's, it's so fragile in that things can kind of break for them offensively. If they're out of rhythm, uh, you know, in terms of the receivers in the passing game, which does happen with Bryce young, same thing we said with the Texas game, that was the route for Texas to stay in it. And it happened, but a lot like the Texas game. And I think maybe even more so if Alabama had been in rhythm in the passing game, that game probably would have gotten really ugly given where the offense was for Texas. And you know, Texas hit a couple deep shots that gave them some points early and outside those, they didn't really do much of anything. And so that's, that's why I think this game is, is probably is going to be pretty out of hand. I think Alabama is that good. And I think Arkansas's three, three, five scheme is the last thing I want to end on is going to run into some significant problems because Alabama's offensive line is not great, but Arkansas doesn't, really rely on as many big defenders at the line of scrimmage as other teams do. They walked Drew Sanders up a lot and rush him, but I'm not sure that's going to be as effective as like Texas that had at all times, two guys that were high level talents. Texas has a really good defensive line. That's the strength of their football team that we're getting interior pressure. It's, it's hard to do that when you're a little bit undersized, which Arkansas is. And given that again, Alabama is the top rated rush team in the country very quietly that's a problem for a 3-3-5, just like we saw last year with Ole Miss, and we saw it with Cincinnati. And Arkansas, I think, last season really played by being very aggressive to try to stop the run. and got burned over the top. I could see them trying to do the same thing, and they could give up just as many yards and just as many points this year. The difference is I think Alabama's defense is in a much better place than they were, and I don't think Arkansas's offense is quite as good as they were. Um, So you can see sort of a similar game in my view, but without Arkansas being able to score to keep up, and this could kind of get out of hand very much in the way the last Alabama and Arkansas game did last year, where Arkansas just barely kind of kept hitting those big shots, and it was always right on the cusp. It felt like of of Alabama pulling away. My prediction is that this year that probably does happen, Um, but we'll have to see. We still haven't seen Alabama put together a big game against a really good opponent. I get it but we're also four games into the season and Alabama only has one game where the offense wasn't eight yards per play. So it's not crazy to think that they're going to be really on fire again. And if that happens, I think the, uh, the paradigm for Arkansas and for Alabama is going to shift dramatically, probably somewhat fairly for Alabama, but I think very unfairly for Arkansas, because I, I think people just have that Texas game in their mind. They see Alabama as a team that's really struggling and doesn't have it together um and I think the reality is by the end of the year we're gonna realize that they are they're probably gonna end up being the team that we expected them to be.
2: Yeah, and the, the flip side of Alabama being a good run offense is they're third in the country in run defense behind probably some skewed statistics. James Madison number one, Rutgers number two. Um at 1.84 yards per carry. So that might be a challenge as well. All right, y'all, that's it for us on Arkansas and Alabama. Let us know in the comments what the score is going to be. Um, And and let us know what you think about Alabama on the road. Are those woes going to continue? Are they still going to be herky-jerky? Or do you think they're going to sort it out on the road against Arkansas? Thanks so much, y'all. Have a great week, God bless. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane why pay a rate based on anyone else get one based
0: on you with DriveWise from Allstate not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.
2: College football nerds here talking Clemson and NC State. Big ranked matchup in the ACC this weekend, and it's been a minute since we talked Clemson or NC State, Josh. So we're going to do it right now. I got Josh with me. We're going to get nerdy. We got a computer model coming later. We're going to do a little touch on maybe that Wake Forest game because that was a crazy one. We didn't get get to talk about it a lot in our live show, which is a segue, uh, to discuss that we have a live show every Saturday. We will be talking live at 10 p.m. Eastern this Saturday. And you can check it out, the one we just did on our podcast. It was awesome, if I do say so myself, Josh. Let us know in the comments what you think the score is going to be, and we'll get down there and mix it up with you. All right, Josh, i got a stat for you. I want to get it right. It's a little tricky to think about, but Mm -hmm. NC State has played East Carolina, Charleston Southern, Texas Tech, and UConn. Those four teams have played four teams each, so 16 games out there to judge statistically. NC State's, or, or Leary in particular, his yards per attempt average, or basically overall QBR, has been the worst performance each of those four teams has yielded or seen of an opposing quarterback All year, except for Furman versus Charleston Southern. So that means, you know, Charleston Southern's played, I think, three FCS teams so far. Texas Tech has played who they've played. UConn is, you know, they lost to Utah State and got blown out by Syracuse. East Carolina's played some bad teams, FCS schools. We've got FCS teams and bad G5s doing better offensively, at least in the passing game than NC State's done at all this year. So, Josh, is that cause for concern, and do we just shut it down right there, or is there more to talk about?
1: Yeah, so all the NC State fans, thanks for tuning in. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe before <laughs> you leave the video. Uh, no, I, I I think it's cause for concern, and I think NC State fans know that it's cause for concern. And when I went back and tried to watch tape to prep for this preview, um, the thing that stuck out to me a lot was that the offense was not in rhythm. And I really, I heavily attribute it to changes in the offensive line. I mean, they lose the number six pick in the draft at left tackle, and you can tell. And even though they haven't given up a ton of sacks, I think five sacks in the season, the number of pressures, the amount that Leary's having to be moved in the pocket, I think is really affecting the offensive rhythm of this team. I'm actually pretty high on Leary as a quarterback. He's a bit streaky, but when... When he's in rhythm, I think he's one of the better passers out there. I think he can make some throws that a lot of guys can't make. They haven't been in rhythm. And so, yeah, I think there's great cause for concern. And if my theory on that is right, if if I'm right that the biggest problem for them has been the fact that the offensive line, especially offensive tackle where they've had turnover, just isn't the same as it was last year, that's a problem because you're playing Clemson. You're playing the team with probably the most active front in college football. And if you have a problem, you don't want it to be an offensive line versus that team. So I think that is sort of the biggest story here. But there's a pause, right? Because the other side of this equation is, yeah, but Clemson still has to score. And this game, if you look at the spread, and again, we make our predictions or think through this without without looking at the spread first but the spread's only seven points for clemson so this game is set to be a competitive game and while vegas does think clemson is likely to win seven point game is more like 60 40 in vegas's eyes i think it's about about where a seven point game comes out from a percentage standpoint so vegas does think that nc state has a very realistic chance to win this game and so the thing you got to think through past all this is okay well if nc state's passing game isn't in rhythm and they have maybe issues in the offensive line, or maybe not. There's probably NC State fans that will disagree with me, but that was just my take. Why is this game so close? And I think, to me, that's the interesting point of discussion. What what is it that keeps NC State in this game? What is it that makes it competitive, knowing that they have some areas that are probably going to be serious problems?
2: I was encouraged by Clemson's ability to score against Wake, but I'm also... Concerned, like I don't want to read too much into it because Wake's defense is atrocious. Atrocious, like the they gave up 25 to Vanderbilt, and it was a legit 25. It wasn't like they scored 25 points and against all the scrubs, and that Vanderbilt team barely crossed the 50 against Alabama. Um, so there, everything we saw Saturday is to be taken with a grain of salt. But I did feel like I saw some growth from DJU. I really do feel like that. The, the concern I have, Josh, is we don't know about the secondary. Like, we don't know about the the injuries and, and the, the missing pieces that Clemson had. Because, you know, we've been giving Clemson a lot of love on their defense last year and this year in spite of having offensive concerns and sputtering. But, man, if they're missing a lot of pieces, the kind of pieces that gave up all those points to wake on Saturday – that might be what the doctor ordered for a struggling offense at NC State.
1: And that is the other side of the coin. Uh, I felt like Clemson's defense this year has looked more vulnerable than I can remember. And I've taken some heat for this over the years, but I think it's kind of proven out off and on a lot of times Clemson's defense has been very sort of all or nothing. And and they're, they were very aggressive. Their fronts have been very good I think Brazil and Murphy are two of the best players in college football I, I as much hype as they get I don't think they get enough I mean Murphy is a special dude and Brazil might be better you know it, it's one of those deals and they they just cause people all kinds of problems but I think this year in particular large part due to the injury situation they're vulnerable on the back end they're not great and if you can get the ball off there's opportunities to be had and that's why you know their game against Wake Forest, wasn't you know a blowout or why was it close well one i think wake force's defense personally is terrible i've watched them quite a bit because they they sort of overlap with some other things we were doing um they're really really bad um and so clemson was able to move the ball and score some but offensively most years Wake Forest wouldn't be able to get nearly the kind of production they did against Clemson and they got it throwing downfield some of it were really good throws by Hartman but still had a lot more success than I think Clemson's used to so I think there's this this sort of object that doesn't want to move and an object that really wants to be moved uh, situation where NC State's passing game is not great (laughs) you know 7.1 yards per attempt is not great on the year but they're playing a pass defense that isn't um, also isn't really in sync, and so when you put the two together, uh, you end up in a situation where one of, them's, you know, one of those two teams has got to succeed, right? I mean, at least that's my read on it. Do you think I'm crazy, or or do you agree with it?
2: No, but I do want to say, like, grain of salt. That seven point whatever yards per attempt is against teams that are giving up like 11, 12, 13 yards per attempt, so that that's my concern there um I, I do think that if you're gonna beat clemson you gotta beat him through the air uh and that's where like even i think latex quarterback threw on them a, a little bit um so that you know for all of the your your race to discredit hartman's um ability <laughs> saturday night he was at like 12.3 yards per attempt and five touchdowns against Clemson. So I think he was doing something pretty good. But, yeah, it seems like they can be taken advantage of there. What does the model say? And then maybe we'll spin off of that into some, some predictions.
1: Right. So our model, and I'll we're still early enough, and I'll give the quick synopsis. It's a model that basically looks at what your team has done only based off this year's data builds a sort of portfolio for your team and what it thinks they're good and bad at, and then makes a matchup between the two teams. And it's specific to the two teams, so Team A may beat Team B, may beat Team C, and C may beat A. Ours works in that regard. Um, And then based off the way it thinks the game is going to go, it looks at what your team's done in the past and, and how your team scores, and it builds a unique scoring model to each team to come up with its scoring projection. One of the underlying statistics that our model generates, which I think is kind of interesting, is a percentage of opponent averages allowed. Pretty simple statistic. If you are playing a team that gets five yards a carry and you allow four, you allowed 80% of their average. Clemson's defense is not great. 99% of opponent rushing averages, 97% of opponent passing averages. That 2018 Clemson team, I think they were something like 55% of rush averages and around 70% 70% of passing averages. So these numbers are honestly kind of bad. Um, and we usually say 90% is really average because there's kind of enough junk data thrown in where teams play G5s and inflates everybody's average. So you should do a little better than average because everybody's numbers are a little juiced up in college football. If you're doing 99% or 97%, you're, you're doing a bad job, frankly. But North Carolina State isn't a ton better. 88% of opponent rushing averages and 110% of opponent passing averages. That's a bad number. I think it a little bit reflects who NC State has played to date. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still rough. Uh, and, and when you go through and you look at the the game log, right, it, it doesn't look nearly that bad. Uh, I mean, they're only allowing 4.9 yards per attempt uh, on the season. So it's hard to complain too much, but the trick really is the fact that the uh, the opponents are playing are, are just that so subpar that it, it doesn't really uh, doesn't really kick into effect. And again, I'll note the FCS data gets thrown out in that. Um, so what's the final score projection, right? And and ours has it forty seven twenty nine. I'll say I don't really agree with the model in this one, and this is where we're in a situation where there's only three meaningful games for both teams. Um, But I think the key here is that it has Clemson at about 6.3 yards per play and North Carolina State about 5.3. I think that's the stat you should pay more attention to if you're trying to project off it. And that's where I think you can maybe draw some more meaningful comparisons. For NC State, 5.3 yards per play is about the same as they had against East Carolina. And that's a game where NC State scored 21 points. And for Clemson, uh, as I quickly pull this up, 6.3. Three yards per play is about the same. About the same they had against Furman, where they scored about 35 points. So if you want to make a more fair model in that regard, maybe 35-21 is kind of where the model is saying. Uh, I think it's it's just a little overinflated due to playing lower levels of competition. And it's increasing scoring, but I will I will add one stat as we break out of this, and I'll let you sort of give your reaction to the model. The thing that I found interesting when I was plugging in data and looking into this right now. NC State, in terms of yards per attempt, right? NC State is the better pass defense, and Clemson is the better passing offense. And at the beginning of the year, you were to give the statistic that NC State was going to be the better pass defense, and Clemson was going to be the better pass offense, I think most people would have laughed your channel off of YouTube, but that's the reality we're at right now, and that's frankly why this model is so screwy.
2: Yeah and I think that's why it's important to know and we don't know and we won't won't, won't know tonight um, where Clemson's health on the defense is and if they're getting those pieces back. and honestly if maybe some of it is just who they are because sometimes you know we saw this with Georgia last year even though they won the national championship. There's a lot of like this baked in crutch that if somebody's out, then you can blame any lack of elite performance. On that player being out, and when they get back, you know we're going to be elite again. Um, I think that Clemson's defense has slipped a little bit. I still think it's pretty good, um, and I've got some real concerns about NC State's offense right now. So I'm going 26 Clemson, 20 NC State. So that is just under Vegas's prediction. Um, tell me what you got.
1: I've got NC. I've got Clemson 24 um, 21, and I'm kind of in the same boat. I think this is going to be an ugly game. And I actually think this game is going to resemble... You've got an
2: analog game. for that. Yeah,
1: I do have an analog for it. I think this game is going to be an ugly game, and I think it's going to resemble a lot of ways the A&M-Arkansas game. It may, maybe not. I'm not saying it's going to match it play for play, but Arkansas moved the ball in these big chunks. They threw the ball and had some big explosives where A&M's defense got a little confused. And, and But uh, the trick was A&M was either sort of stuffing them cold or allowing a big play. And on the other side, Arkansas just – or Texas A&M sort of just chipped away at Arkansas the whole game. And a lot like that game, I I think what's going to happen is NC State's going to hit some plays and score some points. But I think negative plays for NC State are going to add up to the point where it gives Clemson the win. Clemson has impact players offensively and defensively, a lot like A&M did, that I think NC State's going to struggle to match. And I think they're going to generate some negative plays – Uh, when they're on defense and i think they're going to generate some positive plays on offense because they do have talent i am high on shipley i think their running game and again we didn't talk about this earlier clemson's offense is playing a lot better um right now clemson's uh clemson's passing average you know it's not great it's about 7.6 yards per attempt but let's be clear in 2021 clemson did not have seven yards per attempt until the fifth game of the year so they're already off to a much better start than they were last year. They're not fantastic, but they're much more solid. I think sneakily solid. So I think they're going to keep the ball moving. I think they're going to get some plays, um, you know, maybe some chunk plays in there. And it, it's it's going to be a low-scoring, ugly game. I think either team could win it. I think Vegas is indicating either team could win it. Um, and I think it could be a lot like that a arkansas game. Could be a really excited one to match or excited one to watch. <laughs> So it's definitely a game that I'm looking forward to on Saturday.
2: All right, y'all, that's it for our quick one on Clemson and NC State. Notice Clemson fans, give me some love in the comments because I call you Clemson and Josh is still calling you Clemson and I'm going to give him hell about it every week. Um, Let us know what you think the score is going to be and uh, check out the live show Saturday night. Thanks so much, y'all. Have a great week. God bless. Josh Wallnerts here talking to Baylor and Oklahoma State. Huge Big 12 matchup. And Josh, we just had a discussion on our live show. That's right. We do a live show. Check it out. It's really good. We talk for like two and a half hours. Do it every Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern. You can check out the one from this last week. We did a live show. Somebody asked us in a super chat who's the best team in the Big 12. And right now we're feeling Oklahoma State. But Vegas has got this a tight game. Models got this a tight game. And we might have this as a tight game. And a lot of it might be because going on the road's hard. And also, we don't really know what we don't know about either of these teams. But I want to get it started with this question, Josh. Is it possible that people are overplaying the whole... Overplaying the BYU game to a point that they're riding off Baylor when there really should be more context there, and Baylor might be better than they're getting credit for?
1: That's my honest take, and there's a couple reasons for it. First, BYU's pass defense has been really good. In four games this year, they've given up under six yards per attempt three times. The fourth was Oregon, which if you look in yards per attempt, they got shredded, but they got shredded to the tune of 227 yards. Oregon only threw 20 times. They had a couple big bulk like bulk receptions in that game uh, where they had big chunk plays. And outside that, it was still like a six-yard per attempt outing, really, for Oregon. I think BYU's pass defense is really good. And then, you know, the situation for Baylor, it, it's pretty simple. You have a quarterback in Chapin who's a sophomore, and he's making his first, you know, real ever start on in BYU. And, yeah, he played some of the end of last year, but first meaningful start beginning of the season, and I think he just rolled out a complete clunker of a game. Um, and Texas State also wasn't great, but I felt like Iowa State, he took some big steps forward. He looked a lot more comfortable. And, you know, if you want to make that same point to last year, he was a little up and down. Um, and, you know, the Oklahoma State game, when they won the game, he played a good bit, and he played fairly well, had about six and a half yards per attempt. So I think he has it in him to have a competent football game. Uh, I think he just kind of had a really, really bad off night. And when I say six yards, six and a half yards per attempt – Uh, I mean, he had 4.9 against BYU, so I don't think it's realistic to expect him to be a lot worse than he was against Oklahoma State against BYU, and that was a really good Oklahoma State defense last year. Um, and so this season, I, I think he's again, a little more rhythm, a little more successful. And I will say he's playing an Oklahoma state defense. That's lost six of eight leading tacklers from last year. And it's a little bit of a different football team and a little bit of a different matchup. I think on both sides with new quarterbacks and new defenses all around.
2: And we talk about sec stadiums a lot, but going on the road to play BYU and your first start as the the guy that owns the team, not a, not a spot start, but that team is yours to lead. That's a tough challenge, but I still, you know, I, I'm, I'm still a little torn because I don't know how much to give that credit or ding them for it. Um, just like I'm not really dinging Oklahoma State for giving up 44 to Central Michigan. I was arguing with a Penn State fan today that wanted a lot of credit for their win over um, Central Michigan and wanted to kill Oklahoma State, but it was 51 to 15 at one point, Josh. Um, the one thing I will say about that is giving up 44 to Central Michigan Even if it was 51-14 at some point, probably speaks to depth or lack thereof, which could come into play in this game. Maybe not. Maybe the depth concerns are in the secondary, and you don't really get into that um, unless there's an injury. I'm big on Spencer Sanders. I like him a lot. I think he can be streaky and get the hot hand, but I do like him a lot. Josh... Talk a little bit about that defensive personnel. Talk a little bit about what you've seen defensively from Iowa or Oklahoma State this year that may be more than just losing a great coach.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of turnover on Oklahoma State's roster. Again, six of eight leading tacklers are gone, and a lot of seniority was gone. And we've talked, taken heat ourselves from uh, Ohio State fans on one side by saying, look, we think Knowles is a really good coach, but you also have to really be realistic with what he had at Oklahoma State to work with. And, you know, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, the thing you want to hear is, yeah, we lost a good coach, but it was really our players, right? Because if it's if it's your players that made him good, not the coach, then you shouldn't take as much a step back from him leaving. In his case, I think he was good. I think he made use of his talent. But when you've got a boatload of super seniors and they you're able to run a defense that I think was a lot more complicated than what most college defenses are able to run gives you a lot of advantages. Um, And I think Oklahoma state did take a pretty significant step back. Uh, And, you know, when I looked at their performances this year, I wasn't necessarily wowed. Um, And, you know, the the Arizona state game is the one I focused on the most. Arizona state is a pretty incompetent football team. Uh, Emory Jones was really terrible in that game. But what I saw were a lot of bad angles, a lot of missed tackles in the secondary. And when when things got going or when they, you know, when when stuff happened right for Arizona State, it was usually something that Oklahoma State did wrong. And that's not a good position to be in. And this is you know, something we talk a lot about, Daniel, and I don't know that we've really discussed this point. But my biggest concern with Oklahoma State in this game is they've only played three games. The third game against Arkansas Pine Bluff was in FCS. And I think some people are going to view it as sort of a positive that they're more well-rested, that they had a bye week right this week. I actually view it as a negative because Central Michigan wasn't a tough opponent. Um, yeah, they had a tough game, but they're, they're not a good team. Arizona State is not a good team. Arkansas Pine Bluffs not a good team. Baylor has actually been battle-tested a lot more, and I think that gives you a lot of advantages because you start to find things that work and don't work for your team when you get strained um and a lot of times people in their first major outing you know Alabama and Texas I think is going to show up be that way I don't think Alabama is going to look like the team they looked like against Texas maybe again for the rest of the year Baylor has gotten that out of the way and they got it out in a loss and a loss that you know we were talking on our live show and it just totally slipped my mind when we were were discussing teams that even happen because I watched them against Iowa State and they're not the same team Oklahoma State hasn't had that advantage so I think not only have they had issues defensively, but they also haven't really had time to fix them in a game. And to me, that's the biggest concern.
2: Yeah, and for me, like the one thing that I'm and I'm looking through numbers because I'm trying to find Josh. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm struggling with this pick. I because there's there's good on both sides, um, and there's there's some concerns on both sides. And I think that these are two teams that might be, you know, I don't know where to rank anybody this year. So I, you know. Baylor might be a top 10 team at the end of the end of this year. But right now, the thing that really concerns me is they couldn't run it against BYU. Baylor couldn't run it against BYU. And that's a team that's been run on this year. Even by South Florida, I think had five yards of carry on them. Um so that concerns me a little bit when I'm thinking about this game, but I want to see what the model says first. I'm really I'm jumping back and forth on this pick. I think I know where you're going with your pick, which I think is kind of influencing me. I'd rather be influenced by some numbers. So let me look at the model and uh, walk us through that. And uh, and we'll go from there.
1: So if you haven't followed us before, we run a computer model uh, starting about week four. And what our model does is it looks at your performance against opponents and your opponent's performance against performance, builds a portfolio or sort of a snapshot of what your team is or isn't. And it's all based purely on comparative statistics, per-play statistics, how you did against teams, how good you did against them, how good those teams you played did against everybody else. And it creates matchups for this game, and it creates sort of a unique perspective on how this game's going to go based off those two teams, not just in a power rating A versus B, but in a sense of how do the matchups correspond. Um, And then it looks at your performance to this point in the season, and it builds a scoring model unique to each team, plugs in those numbers, and generates a score. Now, we're really early in the season, and because of the situation with Oklahoma State, the model's a little bit wonky. In general, I feel like four to five games are needed for it to really be trained. We do not use prior year data, and we do that philosophically because we always want the model to be telling us stuff about this year's teams. And it's easy to factor in recruiting rankings or last year's scores with Oklahoma State, but all that's going to tell you is what you already know. It doesn't tell you anything new. So, even if it makes it a little bit less accurate, we'd rather have the new data in front of us because we want to use it as a discussion point. And the first thing that the model tells us is this intermediate statistic, which is pretty simple a percentage of opponent averages allowed. And what I mean by that is if your opponents are averaging five yards of carry and you're allowing four, you allowed 80% of their averages. It's a pretty simple, neutral, comparative statistic. In that regard, there's two things that stand out. The first is that Oklahoma State allows 94% of opponent rushing averages. That is a bad to mediocre number. Usually, because everybody's a little bit inflated due to bad competition, 90% is average, I would say. And 129% of opponent passing averages. That number is awful. Like, really, really bad. Ole Miss last year, a couple years, level bad. Um, we we don't see numbers outside 110% that often. Now, I think a little bit of that is inflated because you've got two opponents, one is Central Michigan who you had a bad day against, the other was Arizona State, and the wheels have completely come off that football team, so they've got some bad data. But still, it it does kind of give you a little bit of pause, right, to realize the only two meaningful games you played, you didn't do a great job defending the air. And on the other side of it, Baylor has allowed 62% of opponent rushing averages. I mean, that stands out. For all the faults that you want to have on Baylor and their problems and even the loss to BYU, the one thing that they didn't struggle with was allowing teams to run the football. Uh, Baylor on the year is allowing teams, uh, I got the statistic here somewhere, uh, allowing teams to rush the ball for, I think just for a little over over two yards of carry, I think less than three yards of carry in general. Um, That's a phenomenal number. And you see that in the 62% average and then passing 97% average. And so what you end up with is sort of a tale of two cities with the score and the yardage. The score is Oklahoma State 39, Baylor 34. I think that's a little too high and reflective of the fact that you played some junk games kind of means it thinks you're a little more explosive than you are, is the simplest way to put it. But the yardage is the other way around. It actually has Baylor at 6.4 yards per play and Oklahoma State at 6. This is why this pick is so hard. Which one do you think is right? Do you think it's the scoring model, which has Oklahoma State favored by five? Or is it the yardage model, which actually has Baylor slightly ahead by a little close to a half yard? And I'll note Vegas in this game, and that's why I think this game is interesting, actually has Baylor, the underdog, favored by two and a half. So that's the model, Daniel. What do you take away from it?
2: I don't think the scoring is right, and I'll tell you why. I think that – so Baylor in the last – I think look, just looked at it quickly. I think in their last eight games against Power 5 opponents, they've only hit 31. And that was 31 last week against Iowa State. Um, so I, I think that this game's going to be in the 20s, which means it's a coin flip kind of game. I don't know that the 129 is – super accurate since some of the a lot of the central Michigan yardage and points happened after it was scrub time um so I'm really looking at this rush D. and that 94 percent 62 percent is standing out to me and it's a home team situation um if this was on the road I'm picking Oklahoma State but since it's at home I'm going with Baylor 24 to 20 tell me what you got so
1: I actually also have Baylor 24-21. This is a tough game to pick. I, I think this is a game that could go either way. There are so many variables in play. Shapen has not necessarily been consistent in quarterback. Spencer Sanders has not been consistent at quarterback in his whole career. My takeaway from a more analytical perspective is, is I think Baylor's run defense gives them some advantages. The fact that they've got Ika inside, and they can stuff the inside run, makes it easier to deal with Sanders, makes it a lot easier actually to deal with Oklahoma State's tempo. And that seems sort of counterintuitive, right? That Oklahoma State is a high-tempo team, and you think having big guys inside doesn't really matter that much because they get worn out come off the field. And that is somewhat true. But when you have that ability to be big and to stop the run, it takes away the, this sort of inside dive play that teams like to run a lot that kind of keeps the chains moving and creates this constant flow of momentum, sort of a waterfall with tempo. And when you don't have that and you're just throwing the ball a lot, um, then you have more negative plays, you get more stops. And I think that's going to cause Oklahoma state to be pretty herky jerky. I I don't think the better quarterback necessarily is going to win the game. I mean, I think Shapin can probably underperform relative to Sanders and still win. Um, but I do think the game is probably going to hinge a lot on what version of Spencer Sanders you get and how well they do play. Uh, I think it's going to hinge a lot on what Oklahoma State's defense looks like. And frankly, right now, I don't think we really know. Uh, But I will say the Baylor team that came out against Iowa State, and if they play to the level they did against Iowa State, I feel like Baylor's probably going to win. If Baylor reverts to the the team that played BYU, I think they're certainly going to lose. Um, I, my projection is just sort of based off hedging that the most recent game is the best example. If you want to argue, that's not true. I've got no problem with you. Uh, it, it, it's a tough projection. I think it's a fairly low scoring game is the one thing I'll say. I don't agree with my model either in that regard. And again, the models, very little data at this point. And so, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I think, I think Baylor probably got unfairly written off after the BYU loss that I think was, it's probably going to turn out to be kind of a weird one-off game. Um, and, you know, given the way Oklahoma looks, Texas looks, I think this game may be sort of deciding a lot of who the forefront of the big 12 is. I will say I'm actually kind of high on Texas tech when I've been doing some research this week. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's a big time game. It, it's a game that got played twice last year. Could easily be a game that gets played twice this year. Uh, and I'll certainly be tuning in to watch.
2: You know, I think you made a good point about Oklahoma state, um, Having not played anybody yet. And now we've got, I don't think Iowa State's a great team, but we've got at least a couple of data points from Baylor, and they've had to be in the trenches against, you know, good P5 level um, opponents. And we saw this with Michigan playing Maryland this weekend. Like Michigan was a little shocked early on. They were super sleepy in the first half, and they had played nobody. Like, you know, even. Like Central Michigan is probably 30 to 40 points better than any of the three teams that Michigan's played this year, so that's a little bit of an egregious example. But you could see that they were sleepy, and we've talked about that before with elite teams. When they don't play a tough schedule, there's a chance they can either come in super healthy and ready to go, or they can come in a little sleepy. Um, so I think you might run into some of that this weekend as well. All right, let us know in the comments what you think the score is going to be. Make sure you check out the live show. we got a couple of other Um, reviews we've done this or previews we've done this week and a top 10 that you can go in there and tell us how crazy we are. But make sure you list your top 10 because I imagine yours is crazy as well because nobody, Josh, nobody's getting out alive this week making a top 10 because it's messy. Thanks so much, y'all. Have a great week. God bless.